One of the things that uh, I raised with us last week was why Jesus speaks in parables. And as a, a young boy, I thought that it was so that Jesus would tell a story to make it simpler to understand. And we saw when we looked at the quote that Jesus takes from the book of Isaiah, and it's there in verses 14 and following in this chapter, that Jesus is hardening the hearts of those who've already turned their back against him. It's a way of veiling the truth. Uh, people need first to come to Jesus if they're going to understand the truth of the parables. And we might be tempted to think, well, isn't that a little bit mean of Jesus to do that? Just to kind of make it more difficult for people to understand the truth and respond to it than easier. And if you think that way, you're probably in good company. There are many who have thought that that's a little strange when it comes to Jesus. But I think what we need to realise is it's not the only thing that Jesus says about why he speaks in parables. And as we were hearing Ivan read through this last section in chapter 13, there was another quote that Jesus picks up. And I want to direct your attention to that first up. It's there in verse 34 and 35. It will be helpful for you to have a Bible that you can look onto. Um, if you feel like getting up and grabbing one off the table, go free. If you want to look on on your phone, that's, uh, that's fine as well. But in these verses, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. And then verse 35, so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And it's helpful, it's instructive for us to go back and have a look at where that comes from. It's actually a quote from the second verse of Psalm 78. And I just want to read, it's a very long psalm, but I just want to read to you the first few verses of Psalm 78 and hear what you can of why Jesus might be speaking in parables. My people, this is Psalm 78, my people hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter things, things from old, things that we've heard and known, things that our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell them to the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law of Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children, then they would put their trust in God. Now I could read on, there's, there's a lot more to be said in this psalm, but it sounds a little different, doesn't it, to Isaiah 6, Jesus speaking so that they might be ever hearing but not understanding, ever seeing but not really perceiving. But for those who will come to Jesus and follow Jesus, the purpose here in Jesus speaking in parables is so that they would put their trust in God, it says in Psalm 78. So both these things are going together. That is, if we will not come to Jesus, then we will not understand the parables. But if we'll come to Jesus, then his point is that we might turn from ourselves and following the wicked ways of the world around about us and put our trust in the Lord, our trust in Jesus. 
So as we look at the rest of this chapter, and it's a chapter full of parables, keep these things in mind. We need to come to Jesus first, understanding that these are fundamentally parables that he tells about himself if we're to understand the nature of the kingdom. Now, you may have picked up as we were reading through that the parables here are all about the kingdom, most specifically the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you can read it there in uh, verse 24, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed. Down in verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast or leaven. Uh, you can read it in verse 43, the kingdom of their father, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a treasure hidden in a field or like a merchant looking for pearls or, or the kingdom is like a net that's let down to gather all kinds of fish. See, all of these parables are telling us something about the kingdom, specifically the kingdom of heaven. Now, I just want to say a little bit about this. First of all, the kingdom of heaven is the most significant theme running through Matthew's gospel. Remember, before Jesus comes on the scene, you've got John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is preparing the way for the one who would come after him. In, John, sorry, in Matthew chapter 3... And uh, verse 2, it says here, John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, is saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent means to turn around, do a 180. Turn back to Jesus, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus, when he begins his public ministry in chapter 4 and verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, turn back to God, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. We read through the Sermon on the Mount a little while back, and a number of these things that Jesus teaches in that sermon talk about the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you can read a number of other references to the kingdom. You can read them right through Matthew's gospel. There are a number of other references yet. And if you were to grab yourselves a concordance, which is like an index to the Bible, one of the interesting things that you discover is that the only place where you would read of the kingdom of heaven is in Matthew's gospel. It's the only place it occurs. Uh, in other Gospels, it speaks of the kingdom of God. And throughout other parts of the Bible, it'll talk about the kingdom that's coming, the, the kingdom of the Christ. Uh, it'll speak about the Son of Man who rules over his kingdom. But Matthew in particular talks about the kingdom of heaven. Now, is the kingdom of heaven different to the kingdom of God? Well, listen to what uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19. And we read this, uh, Matthew 19, verses 23 and 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So they, they're interchangeable terms. Why does Matthew speak of the kingdom of heaven, whereas Luke speaks even more times of the kingdom of God? Well, the Jewish people weren't keen to name God's name. 
And it seems pretty clear that Matthew is a particularly Jewish document. Yes, it's written in Greek. It didn't just go to Jews. Um, but there are a number of particularly Jewish features about Matthew's gospel. And so I think what we're dealing with here, when Matthew records Jesus teaching about the kingdom, rather than say the kingdom of Yahweh or the kingdom of God, he speaks of the kingdom of heaven. But on four occasions, interchanges that with the kingdom of God. A little bit of background there, just if, if we're a bit confused about why which one and why the difference, there is no difference fundamentally. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. Now the parables tell us key things about what this kingdom is like. Uh, last week we spent our time on the parable of the seed, the soils, the sower, and we saw there that the kingdom will be both unfruitful and fruitful. That is, there'll be various types of uh, soil. Some of it is not soil, it's a path. Some soil will have weeds grow up. Some will have the, the other things take place. And these stories, these parables, indicate that there will be different responses to the gospel of Jesus. Some will start well and drift away. Some will seem like they're following, but then things will get hard. Some will have the worries of life and wealth creep in, and so they'll fall by the wayside. But there will be some. There will be some who produce a crop. They'll produce fruit. They'll grow as the seed is intended to grow. So the lesson that Jesus is teaching, it's a fairly simple one. He's saying when people relate to him, when people hear the teaching about him, when they listen to his word, when they hear the gospel, many are not going to bear fruit in the end. So if you have an expectation that because this is the message of God's kingdom, therefore it's powerful, and this is God who's behind it, therefore God does whatever he wants to do, don't be misled into thinking that therefore there will be a 100% response to the gospel because there won't be. But there's more than meets the eye in the parables that follow. Let's move on because we see here that the kingdom is going to grow alongside others. And uh, there's the parable of the weeds. Again, fortunately, we get an explanation of this one. So just to recap a little bit from verses 24 and following, uh, we hear Jesus telling them another parable, the kingdom of heavens, like a man who sowed good seed in the field. But while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And so when the wheat sprouts and forms heads, the weeds also appear. The owner's servants come to him and say, Sir, didn't you sow good seeds in the field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servant said, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may well uproot the wheat with them, let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and put them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, the explanation is in verses 37 and following. I'm not going to read out the explanation in detail. But the picture that you've got here is of kingdom people 
people who are acknowledging the kingship of Jesus over them, people who've responded to the gospel, growing up alongside people who are not of the kingdom. They're not acknowledging Jesus. They've turned their back upon God. They are seed that's been sown by the evil one, by the devil himself. And the danger for God's people is that they try and harvest for themselves before the time of harvest. Because the danger is that you will take people who are, who are part of the kingdom and people who aren't part of the kingdom. And I think this is a warning for us, really, to recognise that when God is at work amongst people, there will be some who are followers of Jesus and there will be some who aren't. And our role is not at this point of time to be determining that you can be a part of things and you can't be a part of things, that you've got to sign up to come in or not to come in. No, the reality is that there'll be all kinds of people around us in church, in gatherings, in our community. Some are Christian, some are not Christian. But we won't know finally until the harvest at the end of time. Mind you, there will be a harvest at the end of time. That picture is quite clear. In fact, the imagery here of, of the weeds being burnt up, being thrown into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's a frightening image. And I think it's intended to demonstrate that when the harvest takes place, those who have rejected Jesus, who've turned aside from the kingdom, they will be punished for that. But the reason Jesus is telling these parables, remember, Psalm 78, is that people might hear the message and turn back and be saved. The kingdom is about saving people. Jesus is about saving people. That's why he's come. Other parables tell us some other insights into the nature of the kingdom. Um, that is, if you look at verse 31 and 32, he tells them another parable, the kingdom of heaven's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Just a little aside at this point, the, the nature of parables is that they make a point, often a single point, and you shouldn't push the details. It's not that they're an allegory where you can pick on every little thing and, and work it out. No, there's a simple and a clear point that comes through. So there might be botanists amongst us here who want to make it very clear that the mustard seed is not actually the smallest seed that's out there. And you may go on to say that when a mustard tree grows, it's not technically a tree at all, it's just a bush. So it's not the largest of all plants. Yes, that's true. Um, botanically, that's the case. But the point stands. A tiny little seed that seems very unimpressive can lead to something growing which is so grand that the birds of the air can come and nest in its branches. So the nature of the kingdom is that it, it, it will be insignificant. It won't look impressive. It'll seem weak. It'll seem foolish. At times it will seem like there's nothing going on. But God says, no, there's something going on all right. This seed will produce fruit. It will grow into a tree and the nations will come and join in.
There, similarly, there's another parable. Uh, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. I, I've got a little um, bugbear about the word yeast uh, in, the new t- in the New Testament. Um, it's always leaven, okay? And those of you who do sourdough or ginger beer know that. Um, there's a part that you keep aside and then it gets brought in to make the new thing. Um, it's not the idea of getting your little sachet of yeast and sprinkling it in. Now, you won't be misled and, um, and be gnashing your teeth for all eternity if you've always read this as yeast. But it is leaven, and I think it's helpful to see that because the nature of the leaven is that it just spreads out and contaminates everything. And it literally is a contaminant. Um, you see that, I think, in an extraordinary way if you watch somebody making kombucha. Any of you make kombucha? I figure that making kombucha is a little bit like walking a fine line between killing somebody and giving them a drink that isn't really that tasty. <laughs> um, but hey, it's, it's hip and cool, and so you should drink it, because we all need a few probiotics. Now, the, the reality is that there's a kind of plant which is, well, I was going to say something and then I thought, no, I'll just show my ignorance at that point. But it makes something else, and that bit's true. It, it actually impacts the whole. Now, what Jesus is saying here is the kingdom of heaven is like yeast or leaven that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. Now, if you've ever made your own bread, um, you would not have come close to using 60 pounds of flour. Um, I don't know how much that is, 27 kilograms. It's a lot. This, this is not just a, a woman making a, a bread roll. This is somebody baking for, for an entire huge group of people. But the point here is that something as insignificant as leaven can have a massive impact and turn this whole massive amount of flour into bread for many. So that's the picture here of being unimpressive, but don't underestimate what's going on with the kingdom. And a couple more parables, again, that I think are linked together. So verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went out and sold all that he had and bought that field. Uh, Obviously, there weren't mining rights and so on in that situation. Um, Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and bought it. What's the simple message? The simple message is this, that the kingdom of heaven is worth giving up everything else for. Notice that in both these parables, the person sells everything that they have in order to get the treasure or to get the pearl. Everything. And Jesus will make that point on a number of occasions. That is, it's worth giving up everything in this life to have eternity in the life to come. It's worth giving up everything that others may hold to be valuable so that you can have what is truly valuable in the kingdom of heaven. The next aspect of this 
is that all kinds of people will be caught up in it. Uh, verse 47, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. It's a bit like the weeds, this one. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up onto the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad fish away. This then is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The, the picture here, I think, fits well with what Jesus is doing. He's been calling people to be fishers of men. Uh, he didn't give them rods and reels. Uh, the imagery would be of a net. You cast the net from the shore or from a boat and you drag the net. And as you drag the net, you gather up all kinds of different creatures. I don't know if you've ever watched them um, uh, netting for mullet, which they do up on the north shore, uh, uh, up north of Port Macquarie. We were there one day when these boats that are designed to kind of just charge right through the surf, they go out, they take a net and they... They loop around, create an arc, and then the four-wheel drive that's on the sand pulls the net up. And it's extraordinary, the time we watched it, to see that alongside all of the mullet that they were catching, because it was the season for the mullet, that's what they were chasing, they'd also pick up rays, they'd pick up flathead, they'd pick up tailor, in one case they picked up a small tuna. I mean, there are all kinds of fish that are being gathered up there, together with seaweed, and rocks and rubbish. You see, the picture is of gathering up people, but you won't know in advance. Remember the comment I made last week about the Billy Graham organisation? That of all the people that went down the front to respond to the gospel, their longitudinal studies said that 3% of them, 3% kept going as believers. Our job is not to cull the people. Our job is to make sure that we are among the believers. To know that this gospel is of such price and value that it's worth giving up everything for. That's our job. So what do we make of this? How are we to respond to the parables that Jesus teaches? I want to suggest um, four words, starting with P. First of all, pray for the kingdom. Why should we pray for the kingdom? Well, Jesus himself told us to. Remember in that sermon prayer, Sermon on the Mount, the disciples are asking how to pray and Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be made holy or kept holy. Your kingdom come. Jesus has come to bring the kingdom. We pray that Jesus will bring the kingdom. And we're praying that Jesus will establish his rule over people, that he will enable people to come and bow their knee to him, that people might enter into a, a new realm, a new relationship with Jesus as their king. I don't know whether this is technically right, but we're part of a kingdom now, aren't we? We've now got a king. His name's Charlie, Charles, the second, the third. What is it, the third? Thank you. Um, 
it just popped into my head. I'm not sure why I said that either, but we Yeah. Yeah. So we, we know what it is to be under a king. We, we've lived most of our life being under a queen, but now this kind of works at, at a level. I, I imagine it works a lot more deeply for those who are in the UK, uh, where they have one who rules over them in this manner. Well, we have a king who will rule over us entirely for our good with absolute and eternal justice. And so let's pray that he will establish his kingdom, Jesus. And as we go about living in this life, the kingdom has come near, but it's not come yet in all of its fullness. We're in that kind of now but not yet time. So Jesus has turned up. He's died on the cross. He's been raised from the dead. He's established his kingdom the Bible talks about Jesus seated at the right hand of God, ruling this universe. Um, he is the king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But we live in a time where it's not always easy to see that, where it seems so often that Jesus is not ruling, that he's not in control, where people aren't respecting the king. And so God's people, I take it, are being called to persevere, to keep on going and to be patient in doing that. And as we think about those around about us, people we love, might be our children, our sisters, brothers, parents, neighbours, friends, people who don't know Jesus, who haven't accepted what Christ has done for them, who aren't part of the kingdom, Let's persevere in sharing with them. But be patient. Be patient, both in your perseverance and in your encouragement to others to respond to Jesus. And then finally, I think this, these parables, particularly by putting them all together, you see very clearly the priority of the kingdom. That is, Jesus isn't just offering people something of interest. He's offering something that is to dominate our lives now and for all eternity. Something that's worth giving up everything else for. Something that's so significant that if we're not part of it, then, and this is a metaphor, but the metaphor is, is ugly. There'll be blazing fire and there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's, it's something to avoid. And Jesus' purpose in teaching of the kingdom is so that people will avoid it. He comes on a mercy mission. He's preaching good news of rescue and redemption. And friends, if, if you've not responded to the one who is the king of this world, Jesus... Can I urge you to come before him, to ask forgiveness, to acknowledge that he is the king and to ask him to help you to live for him? Because that's what it is to repent, to turn around, is to stop living for and trusting in yourself, to apologise and to ask that God will help you 
to trust in and to live for Jesus. If you want to talk with me more about that, I welcome you to do that. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you didn't leave us in the dark. We thank you that you sent Jesus and that he both brought in the kingdom in himself and taught others about the kingdom. We thank you that your first desire is to see people rescued and saved. And we know that you give us opportunity to respond because you love us. And so we pray that you'll help us all to make your kingdom a priority in our lives, that we'll live that way, that we'll speak that way. And we do bring before you now people that we know, people who aren't part of your kingdom or who don't seem to be, people who don't seem to be responding to Jesus. And we pray that you'll be at work in their lives. Amen.